If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. So far, maybe. This progress gives us a solid foundation to confront the challenges ahead. Undoubtedly, global risks remain on the horizon, including a strengthening U.S. dollar and higher interest rates, which negatively affect external borrowing. This development is exerting enormous pressure on our balance of payment position, and thus the need for us to expedite engagement with the IMF. Within this context, government is finalizing its post-COVID-19 economic program as a domestic blueprint to engage the IMF. This document has already benefited from input from key stakeholders, including civil society, social partners, labor, employers, and faith-based organizations, academia, industry professionals, and the leadership of parliament. Additional stakeholder engagements will be held to solicit further inputs for the program. Having a sustainable debt path is a prerequisite for the IMF program. Therefore, the IMF World Bank and the Ghana team are currently undertaking a debt sustainability analysis to inform the program negotiations. In addition, the IMF and government team are working to update the medium-term macro-fiscal framework to inform IMF program design. Also, the government team and the IMF team are discussing policy measures and structural reforms proposing an economic program aimed at addressing the economic challenges facing the country towards restoring and sustaining macroeconomic stability, fiscal and debt sustainability, as well as promoting durable and inclusive growth and social protection. We simply have not reached any agreement with the fund on the parameters of any debt operation as we are in the process of completing the debt sustainability analysis. Government shall continue to actively engage all stakeholders in a clear and transparent manner as we seek to fast-track the IMF negotiation process. Ghana needs a viable domestic financial system to support its development program, especially in these three years of limited access to international capital markets. Therefore, everything must and will be done to protect our financial sector. And there must be room for a win-win conversation through extensive stakeholder engagement with both our domestic and external investors. Ghana has always had a collaborative approach with its partners, and we shall, I'm confident, come out of an historic arrangement. This is a government that protected the savings of 4.6 million Ghanaian depositors with the reform of the banking and financial sector. Even in our early days, we owe it to the economy and Ghanaians to keep protecting it. The sanctity and the well-functioning of the financial system is sacrosanct, and we need the support and trust of all Ghanaians to deliver this. Let us join hands to get this done. The great Celtic miracle in Ireland in the 80s was a result of such collaboration, especially with labor, and we shall also be blessed with the Ghana miracle.
the war in Ukraine has triggered a global, a global economic shock that's hitting Ghana and, as I said, many other countries, and all at a time when, for many of these countries, their room for fiscal manoeuvre, if I could put it that way, is already extremely limited because they've used a lot of fiscal power already, firepower already in uh, the pandemic. Well, so that's um, Ghana's finance minister, Ken Oforiata, just this week, giving us updates on our economic situation, also on the talks with IMF. And then you also heard Gary Rice there briefly um, there speaking. He speaks for the IMF in that Zoom encounter. So I'd like us to have a discussion on this where we break it down to the barest minimum for the ordinary person to understand where it is that we are currently when it comes to our economy and our talks with the IMF whilst we seek that uh, three billion deal. I know that there were some seven pillars that were put out by the finance minister. We'll go through them. But the fourth pillar is building strong financial institutions, for which reason I'll start with you on this. And for many who have bonds, we are investors, we have external and domestic you know, investors. We know that no agreement has been reached in the area of the debt operation parameters as put out by the finance minister. But really, paint a picture to us about what our financial institutions look like as we speak. We've seen that report by APSA and what they are projecting in terms of how much the CD to the dollar will be looking like at the end of the year. They say about 12 CDs amongst others. People have their investments in your institutions Right now, listening to you, they want to have an understanding of what happens to these, you know, investments they have. So paint that picture to us. Be frank with us and let us know what exactly the situation is. Yeah, uh, thank you very much, um, Emifa. Um, the minister couldn't have put it any better that um, during these uh, periods such as this, um, we need stronger, resilient and uh, banks uh, that have the capacity to engineer the growth that we are looking for. Um, it is the time that uh, when banks are even making huge profits, we should be excited about because this is the time for banks to build capital buffers. Um, as economic uh, turbulence happens, uh, sometimes the, the risk factors don't crystallize immediately. They are always in the horizon. Mm-hmm. And uh, banks should be able to prepare for that eventuality and have the capital levels and the necessary balance sheet to be able to accommodate the shocks when they do okay. And I say when, not if. Because uh, the economic distress that we are witnessing now is at the household level, at the business level, and at the country level. At all three levels, the banks are impacted. The banks have funded um, the, the individuals and households. The banks have funded businesses. And the, the banks have, as you said, funded the government um, um, in the area of um, uh, our exposure to government securities. So everything must be done to ensure that we have stronger banks that can accommodate any potential distress from businesses and any potential distress from households, and in our case now, in our discussion now, any potential distress from the state or the distress from the states that we are dealing with at the moment. Um, to paint a picture, I would say that uh, banks are strong. Uh, we have the right liquidity levels at the moment. Um, the capital levels are within regulatory um, limits. 
But I would also say that the environment has not been good for banking. Uh, we've had over 35% depreciation of the currency. And um, when that happens, there is a stress on bank capital because we are foreign currency component of our balance sheet and we report in the local currency. And that immediately transferred or translate into a stress on um, capital levels. Um, we've also witnessed an environment of such accelerated pace in uh, growth of interest rates. And when it happens and you are a bank, you are exposed to interest rates or instruments that were issued at a time when interest rates were in the regions of late teens and early 20s. And all of a sudden, we are talking about interest rates in the region of upper 30s. Um, immediately, as a bank, you have a challenge of uh, mark-to-market losses. And once you record mark-to-market losses, um, uh, the direct impact is not on your profitability, but on your capital. And capital is a live wire. It's capital and liquidity. If you lose it, you don't have a bank. So we have to do everything to protect the capital of the industry. We have to do everything to ensure that the industry is liquid. You would also recall that not too long ago, um, the central bank came up with some emergency measures. And one of the measures was an increase in the cash reserve requirement of bank, banks. So it, already banks have that extra layer of distress in terms of additional liquidity that is being squeezed out of the banking system in an attempt to arrest inflation. So we need to do everything, as, as I said earlier, to ensure, and here I'm quoting the minister, that we have a stronger and better financial system, both during and after these IMF um, discussions. Mm. Well, there are, there are key questions that uh, we'll be raising because there are questions I've seen about if we have a bond, for instance, in these financial institutions, should we be expecting a call from government, for instance, during this whole process? Because we are doing the debt sustainability analysis so far. We've seen the rankings in the World Bank website, the risk of external debt distress and risk of overall debt distress. These are high, very high. And uh, we've seen some debt sustainability analysis done by Imani. We've seen that of the NDC also mentioned that what it looks like is just not good on paper and uh, we are yet to experience it and people have started experiencing it or talking about it already but dr chumisi um you've been listening to the finance minister put out these seven pillars where we are in terms of these talks and the outcome of it and hoping that we'll have some sort of a deal that will be reflecting in the budget that will be announced or put out in november tell us really where we stand in all this. I'm sure you've been following these whole talks with the IMF amongst others. Tell us where we stand. You have to Super. Yes, thank you, MFA. Um, I believe that, um, like the finance minister indicated, um, it's as evidence based on the macroeconomic indicators that all is not well in Ghana. And for that matter, um, they have sought for assistance from um, the IMF. But um, for me, um, I do not want to um, send us all the way back, uh, but to put the discussion in context, um, when you look at um, uh, our historical um, path in terms of our journey with IMF, um, Ghana as a country, you see that the indicators that always make us um, go in for a fund-assisted programs have not changed. 
currently we are looking at um, unsustainable debt levels. We are looking at um, a currency that is depreciating. Um, that is also putting a lot of pressure um, on a balance of payment. And so that means that in our ability to import essential um, commodities like um, petroleum, um, pharmaceutical products, and items that are not produced in Ghana, we are consistently um, in a, um, a tight situation. And for that matter, um, they have to approach the, the fund for uh, assistance. But how did we get here? You see that when you look at the, the debt composition of Ghana um, currently, um, we have a blend of domestic and foreign debts. And when you look at historical antecedents as well, um, prior to HEPIC, um, the, the very famous HEPIC in 2001, um, we saw that at the time our debt levels were also quite unsustainable, 145 um, uh, percent in terms of debt to GDP ratio. So we had to go um, um, for HEPIC. And this was at the time where Ghana was a lower income country, right? So we qualify for debt forgiveness because most of our debts were um, concessionary. Um, loans, where our debts were by with bilateral agencies, so you could be forgiven in terms of your debts. So after HIPEC, you see that um, um, when you come down all the way to 2006, for example, our debt to GDP was around 26%, which was a very good place um, for the country. And then you come all the way, uh, we rebase, and then we came to in 2018, debt to GDP was at 57%. 57%. Why do we make a lot of emphasis with debt to GDP ratio? It's looking at prospective investors want to look at the potential for the, the government to be able to pay back its loan. And so your ability to generate wealth is an indicator that you can pay back. And that is why the debt to GDP ratio is critical. So when you look at this, you see that we attained um, a lower middle income um, status in 2011, they're about on the back of oil discovery. And you see that now the country no longer um, qualified for most of the bilateral loans and concessional um, loans and grants as well. So the avenue was to go onto the international markets for us to borrow because um, now we have the muscle to be able to do that and explore. And we've done that over time consistently. And you see that the market has responded positively. The downside with um, um, opening yourself as a country on the international market is that you become also quite volatile because your country is an investment avenue for both domestic and foreign investors. So there is always speculative activities that are going on. People are keenly watching your macroeconomic um, fundamentals to be able to take a decision whether they want to invest or not. And that is where rating agencies in recent times have become quite critical in the discussions because they are looking at the indicators to make a projection to put um, prospective investors. And certainly, um, when you look at the, the consistent bad ratings that Ghana has received based on the back of rising inflation, depreciation, and the accumulation of the debts, it is a situation that um, Ghana has been cut out of the international markets. And with the rising inflation, you also see that 
Um, the central bank is rightfully also increasing the prime rate to tighten the space and reduce the rates of inflation in the economy. With the central bank doing that, you also see that it, is, uh, it leads to increases in interest rates, and that increases the cost of borrowing of governments. Mm. So on one hand, we've been shut out of the international financial market. And then on the domestic market as well, government has had to borrow at a very high rate. So you see that there is not much room for government to maneuver than to go and seek for policy credibility, which was also one of the reasons why we approached the IMF in 2015 as well. So I am giving all these historical antecedents for us to know that, yes, indeed, the structure of the economy is not changing. The fundamentals consistently remain the same, um, but it appears that um, um, we seem to consistently hope for, for the better. Rightfully, we should, but I believe that policymakers ought to get to work as we enter into this program and also moving forward so that indeed, this is our 17 time, we don't find ourselves in the situation we find ourselves in right now. And currently, what is making it even more dire is the fact that the, if there's a, um, the government has to restructure the debt and given that domestic debt constitutes the largest chunk of government debt, it is rightfully um, and so that government needs to look at the domestic um, markets in terms of restructuring. Which people are the holders of government debts on the domestic market, the financial sector, and then households? So for me, um, the, the issue is that whatever it is, um, there would be um, some, uh, some people, some people would lose, uh, let me put it that way. But I also like the Some people that will are... lose. Which people would this be is, is the key question. And lose exactly. what? What exactly would they lose? Okay, so in terms of debt restructuring, um, the laws could come in the form of government negotiating with um, um, debt owners that um, they would have to probably cut down on some of the interest rates. Uh, I'm sure you've had discussions about haircuts, for example, that is receiving less than the market value of any assets that you own, right? But for me, also looking at um, the, the history of the country, the restructuring should be done in such a way that households are insulated from, from um, the, the adverse possible effects that would happen. And given that the finance minister has also committed to um, a robust financial sector, um, we are quite keen to come out with the innovative ways in which um, government would want to restructure the domestic debt. It possibly could come with um, a negotiation in terms of extension of maturities, um, which is also something that is done. So if your bonds or your treasury bills are due next month, government could renegotiate with you to pay in two months, right? And possibly um, not pay the going interest rate at the time. All these are avenues that exist. But as we go through all these, we need to be careful that um, households' incomes are protected. Particularly given that Ghana, we struggle with a lot of Ponzi schemes in the financial sector. If people
people have confidence in government and they have invested in government, I believe that the responsibility is on government to protect their, their savings. And for that matter, I'm quite passionate about the household's component, the individuals, in terms of um, who are the owners of the debt in the domestic, um, what do we call it, Mm. Well, but that said, I'll come to you, Mr. Jinapo, but briefly, let me clear this with Mr. Iwa on this, uh, with that picture that has been painted in terms of our financial institutions, amongst others, and these haircuts. I don't know how low the haircuts will be, but the concern is, with all that we know so far, and some of the banks that we've heard, at least we've seen their projections, amongst others, and the concerns that has been raised, amidst this debt restructuring, Finance institutions, at least banks, we are told, may be the largest hit in all this. And you, you say that you are hopeful that our banking sector will remain strong, will not see collapses like we saw in the past. Is that what you say? You're hopeful? I am I'm, I'm very hopeful. And that is why I would like to take the minister's word for what it is, that... Um, in whatever arrangements... Yes, we've heard the minister's words, but you are there on the ground, okay? You are there on the ground. You lead these bank associations, like you lead these bankers or these banks, so to speak. What really is the situation um, such that after these debt restructuring, we'll have our banks intact as a country? Is that what you say? Yes, and and I I agree with you on the point that you have just um, um, raised, and uh, when people talk about protection of households, I agree 100%. We must also know that it's the same households who own or whose deposits the bank has given or the banks have given to the, to the state. Mm-hmm. So if you save the banks, you are saving households. So we cannot take one and isolate it from the other. The banks, apart from the capital levels, if you pick any of the banks, the bank with the, the largest capital level in this country, maybe is just a little about a billion Ghana cities. But they have huge investment in excess of 80 billion Ghana cities with uh, the state. Whose money is that? It's depositors. And who are the depositors? It's households, individuals, businesses. Mm-hmm. So anything that goes to also frustrate the balance sheet of the banks and the capital levels of the bank in a manner that results in uh, uh, you know, a, a banking system that is not resilient and is not strong enough to absorb any shocks should also be avoided. And that is why the minister said what he said. He is an investment banker. He understands these things. So I, do, I don't want to jump the gun because uh, we all know, they said, in the discussions, they have not got into debt operations. They have not got into the level where we are talking about Haircut. I mean, uh, these days I, I don't even want to turn on the, the radio because people are talking about haircuts as though we're going to the salon to get It is huge. It is big. And let's not just use it loosely. It is uh, 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 it's like somebody owing you and saying, I can't pay your money, but you come for your money. I gave you 10 cities, now I'll give you five. It is, it is that big. And we need to be very careful how we contextualize this discussion. Will that not be not, the reality at some point that we should brace ourselves for? Of course. And, and, and I like what uh, my uh, fellow panelists say about various forms of uh, restructuring, restructuring is available. We have uh, a, a debt extension. Maturities are on, in the horizon or coming up. 
Uh, you can have a situation where you have extensions to this, but those are soft levels of risk. But yes, they have liquidity implications because banks plan their liquidity. Uh, they know that maturities are coming and they have liabilities that those maturities perhaps are going to sell or service. So um, if maturities are unduly extended, it could also have impact on liquidity. And we believe that when we come to that, the central bank can then perhaps create a window for the banking system and say, if you have been asked to make, do an extension of your maturities uh, uh, so that we are able to reach that sustainability, if as a result of that you have liquidity needs, we from Bank of Ghana will step in to support the bank requirements. I think that is perhaps an, an avenue that we should explore more and perhaps come less on these um, discussions around shaving off from the portfolio. Mm. But in all this, though, curious, what's the role of the Bankers Association in all this? Um, we, we are playing a very critical role. Um, the bank, uh, the central bank or the Minister of Finance will not be engaging individual banks. So uh, we have a community of banks, and that community of banks is headed by the association, which I happen to, to head. Mm -hmm. So we are really at the forefront of any discussions with the banking industry. We, uh, we need to be able to bring individual bank situations to the table. There are, there are decisions that can be taken that Bank A can accommodate, but Bank C or D or F will struggle to even take 50% of it. We need to understand the dynamics of the industry, and that is where we come in, to provide that kind of understanding of the industry dynamics, where banks are uh, from the tier one to the tier threes, where each of them are, so we can properly situate the discussions and take decisions that are optimal for the banks and for the country. We have to reach, as the minister said, a win-win situation. And reaching that win-win situation is understanding we understand why we are where we are in the discussion from that side. Uh, there's not much to understand from that side. Mm. But there is that end of the banking industry, uh, the pension funds, the asset managers, uh, the household uh, holders, the offshore holders. There are, we have the insure, insurers who also put insured money or premiums into government bonds. So there, if you go and do a haircut, it's going to affect their ability to pay, pay claims. So this dynamics all come to the fore so that we can have a more forward-looking discussion that seeks to protect the interest of all participants and not uh, maybe solve one problem and create a lot more problems um, for the industry. Mm. And I talk about the banking industry because of what and where we are coming from. Okay. We just come from a market where confidence went to all-time low, where banks went under, banks were consolidated and we do not want a situation where after any program of a sort we are going to have to deal with that situation where we have to bring, uh, be building back confidence in the banking system mm. and i believe that the managers of the economy have these backgrounds to their discussions and they understand it and from the initial conversations that we've had i'm quite confident that the understanding is there and we need to just come to uh, a decision point of how we deal with it. But let's not forget, it's not just about uh, 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 debt. It's also about expenditure. It's also about revenue of the government. So that sustainability is not just uh, a debt. I mean, uh, but why do you have the debt? Because you are borrowed to spend. 
So we need to look at what do we spend our money on? Mm. What can we do? What else? I know that uh, we've cut uh, discretionary spend by 30%. What else can be cut? On the revenue side, we know that there are leakages. We are just head of a news article on Joy um, of uh, customs, you know, leaking the state about 300 million, I don't know whether it's dollar or CD, um, annually because of just oil imports from the sub-region. If we have pockets of this in the system, to what extent uh, are we going to have all coming to the table? We close out these loopholes so the, the kitty becomes bigger, the expenditure side goes down, mm. and, and then be, be, you know, begin talking about what else, whether we have to even touch the debt um, and that is being held by the bank. I, I was hoping you, you let us in actually on what exactly uh, you've been told that gives you that kind of confidence in what um, has been said. But I'll come to you again on this and also uh, Dr. Chumisi on this. But let me come to the studio now and bring in uh, Mr. Jinapo uh, on this uh, particular IMF um, situation. He's also on the Finance Committee uh, of Parliament. And we've been told there's an extensive engagement the Finance Minister mentions as he puts out uh, the seven pillars and tells us that before he comes to you in Parliament in November to present uh, the budget for 2023, hopefully some form of a deal would have been agreed on uh, with the IMF such that it will reflect in the budget. First of all, I've heard a lot of these things from the finance minister, from the chairman or head of the economic management team, several assurances that we keep deteriorating. And so... Rather than talking too much, I think they should focus on the job. We've had several assurances. Quite recently, the finance minister held a press conference and gave us the same itemized issues and gave us so much assurance, it turned out to be negative. The vice president himself has done that. It turned out to be negative. And so it's not enough just talking. And I'm happy that the... Bankers Association says that they appreciate the cause of the problem. What I see is that the current managers of the economy do not appreciate the cause of the problem. And until you appreciate the cause of the problem, it's very, very difficult to prescribe some solutions to that problem. But when you hear the excuses they are given, it, it, it just makes you feel that, look, this economy is in the wrong hands. It's true, we met the finance minister. And, and I was one of the people who were chosen. We were quite few mm. from Parliament. We met the Finance Minister in Koforidia, and I can tell you that this economy is really sick. It's, it's worse than they even try to tell us. But that's good news, at least. There's some engagement with your position, for instance. Government is not just dealing with this by itself. So let me it's, deal with the issues. Okay. Now, if you look at the Ministry of Finance's own report, on the fiscal side, our total revenue for the first two quarters was 37 billion. That's total revenue, all the revenues accruing to the state. And normally, when you are looking at this, your emphasis is on the tax revenue. Tax revenue was 30 billion. Meanwhile, when you take two items compensation and debt servicing, it's 42 billion. So the total revenue is not even enough to meet just two line items. That is debt servicing, which is interest and amortization, and then um, compensation. 
before you then come to look at get fund nhis district assembly common all the other statutory payments when you put all together it's about 60 billion so 37 billion against 60 billion tells you the difference in terms of the amount of money we need to even reach par mm. bearing in mind that there's no opportunity for you to go to the euro bond so it's a serious matter and our information is that because they are not getting the revenues the bank of ghana is hard to support and so by the end of the year all this liquidity support the bank of ghana is given would crystallize and the state would have to absorb that or make provision for that as part of our national debt other than that the bank of ghana would have to make provision for that in their balance sheet which will also knock them off so this is a really really serious problem and in Koforidia, we give a lot of advice to the minister. Inflation is now at about 34%. I mean, who can survive such a condition where inflation is about 34%? And the bankers themselves tell you the cost of borrowing now has gone through the roofs. The currency is depreciating at an alarming rate. And so clearly, things are very, very, very difficult. The question is, what do you do going forward? We'll be meeting the IMF, the Finance Committee, mm-hmm. I think on the 5th of this month. And so far, we have indication that the IMF is now coming to agree with some of the things we talked about. For instance, the Sinohydro facility is almost due for payment. We don't have any bauxite processed into alumina. We don't have any aluminum. And in this sector, you need minimum three years to put up a factory. I mean, we are nowhere near that factory. So this will crystallize. It's about six billion. Energy sector debt of about 10 billion. It's obvious that I've checked from the logbox. They don't have any significant money to pay the principal when it's due. And it's due, I think, in 2024. So we have to make provision for that. That's about 10 billion. Cocoa Bolt, they have a debt of 14 billion. They cannot service it. As a cocoa bills. Mm-hmm. They have to make provision for that. Get fund. 2.5 billion. When you put all that together, that's about 32 billion, which is very likely to hit the public debt. If you take what Bank of Ghana is doing, and then all these bills I'm talking about, when you put them on the national debt, it takes us to more than 100% GDP versus our debt. The debt would go beyond the GDP by about 100%. So there's no doubt that you restructure your debt. I can understand. The Bankers Association, they are very worried. And I heard Madame say that, look, there'll be some level of restructuring. Because the money is not there. And some of these debts are maturing. And even when you take our domestic debts, a chunk of it is owned by foreigners. You see, in the U.S., they use nationality because they deal with dollar. We use currency. If it's CD, we say that it's domestic. If it's not CD, we say it's foreign. But we allow foreigners to bring their dollars to convert it to CD-denominated bonds in Ghana. So we took $2.5 billion from Franklin Templeton, converted it to CD bonds, and our currency stabilized. So the stability we're realizing was because we always go to borrow money artificially to put it in the economy, and then you are seeing some level of stability. But now that the international market is closed, those dollars are not flowing in again. So you see your CD depreciating at an alarming rate. So even those with domestic bonds, when you pay them the coupon or interest, 
So I go to the Bank of Ghana and say, look, I want dollars because I want to repatriate the money. So clearly, we are in difficult, difficult moments and debt restructuring is inevitable. The question we should be answering is, how do you restructure the debt? How do you deal with the were domestic you that indication when you met the But we were clear that we think that it would be suicidal to focus only on the domestic side. Well, what these banks do, principally, as, as, aside other things they do, is to mobilize excess liquidity by pooling deposits together and then advancing them to a deficit unit mm -hmm. in the form of credit. And so a lot of the monies you see sitting in their balance sheets are from depositors, like myself and you. So I give, say, 10,000 CD to my bank, expecting that maybe in six months I will get, say, some 10% on it. So if government decides that the banks should take a haircut, either you extend the maturity period, reduce the principal, reduce the interest, extend the interest. But any way you look at it, it means that the banks will have to take a hit. And if you look at the debt or credit portfolio, the banks have a substantial amount of money with government. The banks cannot do anything than to tell their depositors or customers that, look, I'm taking a hit here. So you must also take a hit. If you reduce my deposit in the bank, you know what is going to happen? I say, fine. If my 10,000, I can't even get my 10,000, is 9,000. Give my money to me. None of these banks can withstand a run. If there's a run on the banks, most of them would fold up. So for me, I think that the Ministry of Finance should be engaging all the stakeholders on how to deal with the debt in terms of the restructuring. Because the restructuring is inevitable. It's this same person in the back and pretending that all is well that is brought us in this mess. So let's agree that there are real difficulties. We may not be able to service the debt the way it ought to be. And that something ought to be done. But we told the minister... The minister is so fixated on the revenue side. So in the ensuing budget that we're going to witness, I can predict that there will be some taxes. Mm. Look, there's going to be very difficult moments for us because he needs to mobilize that revenue to address the expenditure situation. How is he going to do that? More taxes, up to how many of them? So how is he going to raise that revenue if, if you don't restructure the debt? And the debt component is a huge amount. I think it's about 35 or, so, or, or about 30 billion. I'll check it, both interest and amortization. And it's due. You have to be paying it. What do you do? You have to raise the money somewhere to pay or to tell the debt holder that, look, I cannot pay you now. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no other way. I owe you, say, 50,000. I have to pay you by end of October. My salary is just 10,000. There's a 40,000 deficit. What do I do? Meanwhile, I cannot borrow. Because look at the rates now. And the more you increase the rates, the more the interest component, which makes your debt servicing more expensive. So what, what can the minister do given the circumstance? And this issue about IMF, look, the IMF is not for their Christmas. That's why the IMF is engaging. I know they've met GMPC. They've met all the energy sector SOEs. They are meeting us. They want to have a true picture of Ghana's debt situation first. Mm. If you don't have this, the second meeting that the committee is going to have for the IMF team, at least we know that they had some pre-engagement with you in the second meeting. What would you say as you sit here? You're a ranking member. 
um, you're going into that meeting with what exactly you'd say? I'm clear in my mind that we'll remind the IMF that we raise these issues with you. Mm. Debt, that is the, na the nation debt or national debt, but the Minister of Finance has decided that he won't treat it as such. So you have something like energy sector levies debt. Yeah. The debt in the energy sector is from what he calls Esla PLC, especially because because with no money, it has no balance sheet. And put the debt on Esla PLC. How does Esla PLC pay for the debt? From the revenue section of the budget. Because when you look at the budget, it's basically the revenue section and the expenditure section. The revenue section, you see Esla receivables. He's supposed to pay for that debt, but he decides that it's not our debt. Get fund. He goes to borrow money in the name of get fund and decides that it's not our national debt. So that is the key issue we are going to raise with the IMF. That we are in this mess because we don't even have a true picture of our national debt. And that it's imperative that we have a true picture of the national debt so that all of us can prepare. Sinoidro, they told us it's butter trade. And that we're not going to pay with our money. We'll process bauxite into alumina. It's time to be a fiasco. And the vice president was championing this. We cautioned them. Sometimes when we speak, it's not as if we are naysayers. I mean, knowledge that's does not reside in one person's head. Mm -hmm. Today, the chicken have come home to roost, and we have to make provision for all these issues. So we have told the minister that look at the expenditure side as well. And it's mentioned that there have been cuts. Um, no, no new vehicles are being bought. We are told about unnecessary travels, at least in the last, just that we're not giving details as in how much exactly we've been able to make Thank or keep out much. of uh, that expenditure cut. Thank but you. We are told they At are here, we ask for details. We've been seeing them traveling up and down. And Who are it's the necessary, they say. Which one is not necessary? So tell us the travels that were not necessary that you cut. So does that mean government was already engaging in travels that were not necessary? Is that what they are telling us? That now all of a sudden they've realized that, look, some travels were unnecessary. How much savings have you made from that? These issues of so-called vehicles. We're going to receive the reports very soon in Parliament. And what I'm seeing is that they are still procuring vehicles. All they say is that necessary vehicles. Who determines what? They should rather look at the size of government. When I was a minister, MPA, MPA, we had no deputy. Today there are two deputies. In some corporations, they have three deputies. Doing what? Three deputies, even members of parliament, I hold the view that if I had my way, you would reduce the numbers in parliament. Mm. 275 for a country like Ghana. 200 people, in my opinion, can do this job. And when we talk of government size, it's not just the ministers. Those toughest and hangers on and all that, and the president himself must demonstrate that he is prepared to cut down on expenditure with these luxurious and unnecessary private jets and all that. So clearly they should lead the way. They should reduce the level of expenditure. They should show austerity, show a level of committed, trim down the size of government. Then we can follow. But I'm clear, look, there is no... It's, you don't need a magician. You don't even need an economist or a finance person to tell you that, look, next year things are going to get very, very, very tough. Things are going to get seriously tough for all of us. Already, salaries have been increased by just 4% in 2021.
2022 by just 7%. Meanwhile, inflation is at 34%. So if your salary was increased by 7%, but the cost of buying items on average is increased by 34%, you can see where you find yourself. And even with all this, we're still not making solutions. Look, we had pollution levy. We had COVID levy. We had financial sector levy. We had energy sector recovery levy. We had a e-levy. And when you look at the reports, almost all these levies, aside e-levy, have overperformed their projections. In fact, when you take the price stabilization and recovery levy, it's gone up by about 400%. COVID levy, about 130%. Mm. Financial sector levy, about 130%. All of them. So even the revenue side, it is the e-levy that's really impacted on the revenue side. The others are doing fantastically well. And yet, look at where we find ourselves. Mm. Look, this economy is in tatters. This economy is in a quagmire. And I think that the finance minister and the head of the economic management team, Dr. Baumia, should spare us this lengthy, lengthy lecture and talks. But that's been transparency, they at least at the last... with the issue head on. And let's wait for the IMF to finish this consultation and we'll get to know the true state of Ghana's national debt. Mm. Well, Dr. Chimisi, as part of this uh, debt sustainability analysis, I don't know if you also agree that uh, debt restructuring is inevitable, but really, how do we go about that debt restructuring is the concern for many. Um, if you were to uh, consult with the IMF, for instance, or consult with government, what really will be the way to go for you, you would say? Okay, so um, given that now Ghana is basically cut out of the international financial markets, um, we have to um, restructure. It's, it's something that needs to be done. And when you look at the sustainability um, requirements for IMF uh, program, um, you see that um, for you to be able to qualify for any fund assistance, you have to prove that you are on a path to be able to sustain your debts. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that um, it has to be done tactically. And I would side with uh, Mr. Iwa in a, in a sense that, yes, householders, um, households are the owners of the resources in the banking sector. But we also know that there are individuals that invest directly in treasury bills through the commercial banks, right? The, the, the challenge we find now is that because of the very high interest rates in Ghana, and truth be told, a lot of our commercial banks and financial institutions are also too comfortable investing in government instruments, right? So now you see that the problem has been compounded in the sense that most of these institutions are heavily invested in government instruments. Some are invested in government domestic instruments, and they are also invested in government foreign instruments in the form of euro bonds and other um, financial um, instruments that are um, introduced by government on the international markets. So anything that is done that hits them, um, now, some of them will take the hit on the domestic markets, and we know that going to restructure foreign debts are very dark consequences. So if you can do it at home, you bet charity begins at home. 
For me, I think that there are pensions funds, mm -hmm. there are um, assets managers, um, manager institutions that are also quite invested. Um, government can um, start the restructuring with those institutions in the sense that um, those institutions also have liquidity that is coming in consistently. So probably there will be room on their balance sheet to maneuver. The reason why I am insisting that um, individuals, that is the households, must be protected in terms of those that have directly bought government instruments is that if um, such people lose, then it means that what is all the noise we make about Ponzi schemes, what is all the noise we make about um, illegitimate investment instruments in the economy, if after all um, you lend to the safest borrower and you end up losing. And that also has implications in terms of um, the savings habits and the culture that will come afterwards. So for me, I think that um, the negotiation should be with the institutions in terms of, for example, extension in maturity, negotiations on interest payments and, and goals, and so that um, people are not significantly um, hit in a negative way. Well, restoring and sustaining our macroeconomic stability is, is key uh, for the finance minister from what uh, he says. But he's hoping also that by November, before he gives us our budget estimates for the year 2023, we should have reached some form of a deal with the IMF such that it will reflect in the budget. Looking at the Zambian situation, at least, we followed what happened with Zambia and how long it took. We are told we are going to be putting together a five-member committee also as part of our debt sustainability analysis. Do you foresee that we are able to reach some form of agreement by November with the IMF such that we'll see it reflect in our budget? Dr. Chimesi, then I'll come to you, Ms. Ewa. I think that it is um, um, looking at it from a very optimistic point of view because, I mean, we are in... And we are entering October um, with tomorrow, and indeed... The we are in October, space. actually, today. Sorry. <laughs> we are in October, okay. So, so indeed, um, uh, the, the time um, frame is very short, um, but um, the, the situation we find ourselves in, looking at the challenges on the revenue mobilization side and the fact that on the expenditure side, there is not a lot of room to maneuver in terms of um, debt servicing requirements and remuneration to um, uh, public servants and all that. Um, it is imperative that we get some solution in the shortest possible time. And I think that is what is informing the opportunistic um, view from the, um, the finance minister. Mm. I know you're very optimistic with building a strong financial institution. Are you that optimistic also about we reaching some form of a deal with the IMF as we look forward to that Ghana miracle by November, such that we see a reflection in the budget? Uh, yes, um, it's a tight one, but um, earlier the better. Um, the financial markets, if there's one thing that the financial markets actually almost hate, is noise. That our noise, uh, you know, <laughs> expands when the, 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 the space to maneuver is elongated. So as, as quickly as possible, if we can come to an agreement, it will be in the interest of the country. Uh, between now and um, November, we only have 
Oh no, it appears uh, I have a cracky line there to uh, Mr. Iwa, but I think you didn't get to uh, tell me how hopeful you are about we reaching that deal before November. Uh, you think that is possible? You're hopeful that can happen? Well, that depends on government's cooperation. For instance, the IMF would require a lot of information. IMF would have to do some level of validation. Mm -hmm. And then government would also have to prove that it is on the path of debt sustainability, which is to say, this is your national debt. This is how you ought to be servicing them. Mm -hmm. How are you going to service that debt? Okay. That is a question that the IMF would wish to Get seek clarification mm -hmm. or answers from Ghana, because the books are showing now. You talked about the Zambian situation. Unfortunately mm -hmm. for Ghana, a lot of our debt are owed to commercial entities. A lot of Zambia's debt was due to bilateral. For instance, about one-third of the external debt was attributable to only China. So if you can deal with China directly and China says, yes, I agree, I can push it for you. It's a sovereign nation. It has a financial muscle. Mm -hmm. So you can deal with them. But when you are dealing with commercial entities, shareholders are interested in their profits. So it's not that straightforward okay. with the situation in Ghana. So it would depend on government's ability to prove that we are ready to make some cuts, okay. we are ready to raise these revenues, and show realistically, bearing in mind that in the past, when we've given all this assurance to investors, Ghana has failed. Mm. Because throughout 2021, all the assurances that has been given has not materialized. Mm. But when we meet the IMF, we want to be very, very bold, very blunt, very straightforward with the IMF. But of course, our, having our Ghana's interest also at Exactly. Heart, you know, Thank you very much. Okay. And it's in, it's, it's in the spirit of national interest that will be very honest, very blunt, very sincere with the IMF when we meet them. Okay. Dr. Tremacy, um, I don't know if we have uh, Mr. Iwa back because there's this key issue also about these Momo loans that I was hoping uh, to pick his thoughts on. But uh, do I have yes, you? Okay. Super. I have you back on this. So you are telling me about your hopes about reaching that deal in, in November. Yeah, as I said, um, I'm quoting the managing director of IMF. Um, he, he stated that a deal is possible before the end of the year. Um, as for November, it's extremely optimistic, uh, but we should all put our hands on deck. At the end of the day, uh, it depends on uh, how many areas of contentious uh, points do we have to negotiate. If we are able to narrow down to as few as possible, then a deal is possible within the shortest possible time. Okay. So it all depends on what guest uh, is going to be discussed um, at, the, at, at the table. And uh, I'm, I'm quite sure if we don't go uh, with a lot of conditionalities on, on what IMF can touch and not touch, and we go saying that we are ready and willing, if it is about expenditure cuts, if it is about programs that we have to stop doing, revenues that we have to remove from that source, it's about a debt uh, operations that we have to handle in this way or that way. If we can come to consensus within the shortest possible time, yes, then the deal is possible um, uh, before the budget is read in, in November. But I must say that it is extremely tight. Okay. I'll come to Dr. Chimesi, but let me wrap up with you, Ms. Ewa. We know that uh, this week, um, as part of uh, the SIM registration, I should say last week, as part of uh, the SIM registration, we're told up there by the Bank of Ghana, there was a communication that came uh, from the Bank of Ghana that those who are taking Momo loans and are abandoning their SIM cards, hopefully um, they will not be tracked. But we, we were told by the Bank of Ghana that uh, they are on the heels 
of these persons, really. Is there a role that um, the Bankers Association are playing in all this um, for us to be those um, who have taken Momo loans and are hoping to abandon their SIM cards and um, not be found, really? And what's the situation? Um, thank you very much. Uh, the, the, the directive from the central bank or the notice is a step in the right direction. We commend uh, the regulator for coming out with that uh, directive. Um, as a country, we should all um, 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 take keen interest in improving the credit culture uh, we have in this country. And uh, we should get to the level where if you are unable to pay your rent, you should not have access to a, fa- a bank facility. And that is how it is done elsewhere, that your credit exposure should be such that, uh, just like we are discussing for the country, individuals must also understand that they have a duty to pay back. That is your number one um, obligation if um, you, you, you owe anybody. Whatever money you get, your debt should be your number one. So um, to the extent that uh, one day I was out of uh, the house, and my people at home called me, uh, the lights have gone out because the credit is finished. I said, well, let me send you something on your mobile. And they said, oh, don't send to this number. Uh, please, I'm going to give you a, a different number so you, you send to the boy in the house. And clearly, he had borrowed on that, and he feared that if I transferred to that account, um, it would be consumed by the debt on, 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 on that. So who should pay? Which, who should pay for that debt? We should have that responsibility as a people that the culture we create is what creates the space for more credit creation. If people take the loans, they don't pay back. Who will bring the funds to give the next loan? So we commend uh, Central Bank uh, for bringing this. As an industry, we also have a payment platform. Uh, we have the Ghana Pay. And we do not want a situation where people take facilities of Ghana Pay and decide that uh, we are going to change our SIM and uh, we will not have to pay back um, and that debt. We, we all, from from the security man or the professor, we must know that we have a duty to perform on our facilities. Just like as a country we are struggling, we should not let it translate into individuals and households also behaving in the manner um, um, as though we take facilities and we don't want to uh, um, pay back. Okay. And that is why, as an industry, we also support this SIM card registration. If we get to the level where we can pay people to this ID, and if you borrow on, say, Ghana Pay, and you dish your, 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 your SIM card, and you go for um, Vodafone, and it's the same ID, Vodafone would know that you are defaulted elsewhere, and therefore you're not a credible customer. We will okay. not give you the facility. Okay. We have to get to that. And that is where I think the Ghana card registration Uh, Okay, well, so we know um, just in wrapping up the discussion about the IMF talks, we are entering the next lap, which is the next five days uh, with the IMF team, World Bank team. So seven pillars uh, that were put out, debt sustainability analysis, the fiscal consolidation, strengthening our monetary and exchange rate policy. We know we are building strong financial institution, microcritical structural reforms also maintaining peace and security and economic growth. I'll give a final word uh, to Dr. Uh, Chumesi. So these are the strong pillars, the pillars that uh, the finance minister put out that we are dealing with. Your final thoughts, and then we can wrap up on the IMF talks, then we can get into uh, the next uh, discussion on news file. Dr. Chumesi, for obvious reasons, I give you the final words. Thank you, Omefa. I think that when you look at all the um, seven um, itemized um, um, 
indicators, you see that they are rightfully um, interlinked. Debt sustainability is critical for uh, macroeconomic um, stability, and that means that we need to consolidate the fiscal space. Indeed, I must say that um, we are in this critical times because over the, the, the period when you observe the pattern of monetary policy and fiscal policy, you don't seem to, or the market doesn't seem to appreciate that a lot is being done on the fiscal side. So monetary policy consistently has been tightening the space because of um, the fact that inflation is increasing. But when you look at the fiscal side, um, you cannot really pinpoint um, innovations, initiatives that government is taking to be able to cut down on expenditure. So fiscal consolidation is critical um, in this discussion. And then when you look at um, in terms of um, other indicators such as um, strengthening the monetary and exchange rate regime. Mm-hmm. Um, when the um, indicators are right, inflation is controlled. Um, we will see that there will be um, the, the city will gain some some momentum in terms of um, its rates against other initiatives. So for me, uh, going into this agreement, I also think that you see that Ghana always all the time performs under an IMF program. Mm. um, But the challenge is the moment we exit the program, then the cracks begin to emerge. And you find that the the foundation of that is that we we do not work at the structural challenges that need to put the economy on a sustainable growth path. So going into this, hopefully, I hope that we will learn lessons and then... um, um, get to work to make sure that the structure of the economy changes and probably in another four years, five years, we don't come to sit here um, discussing about another um, IMF. We're grateful. This seven. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Piles, uh-huh. that you've mentioned. Haven't you heard them before? This seven. What's new here? What you tell me? This, if Dr. Kansa, these seven pillars that we are now being told will resolve our challenges. Have we not heard That's what these we are working for. To, to, to so what is new with these seven pillars? That's what we want to hear. Must it be new? Must it Pardon? be new? Must it be new? And then it's the same old thing. Okay. So we must know these seven pillars. When you say this, what does that mean? What are you going to do? What anchors that seven pillar? If you just come and put out your seven pillars, anyway, you want to wind up. So I'll take a quick break here on Newsfile, and we've been talking uh, with uh, 
Dr. Prisla Chunisi Bafo, the Department of she's at the Department of Economics, University of Ghana, also uh, the president of the Bankers Association of Ghana, Mr. John Iwa, and in the studios, Mr. John Jinapo is the ranking member on the Mines and Energy Committee. He will stay with me and keep me company in the studios, and we'll get into our next discussion on the GNPC Gensa deal. It appears there's more also that he's been talking about. One point five billion. Uh, that's what uh, it looks like. There's some financial loss uh, to the state has been caused. We've been hearing from government on this, maintaining that um, the CSOs, that's ASEP, Imani, they first mentioned this. Um, they could be misleading us, but we have all the details right here on News Please, we'll take a quick break. Stay with us. <laughs> 